Welcome to the second episode of Runway 21, the Santa Monica Airport Association's podcast. And I have with me again today, uh, Mark Smith. Hi, Mark. Good morning. And Bill Warden. Good morning, Christian. Hi, Bill. So we have a couple topics we're going to cover today uh, in our second uh, version of this podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about the value of Santa Monica Airport's airspace, and then we'll get into the benefits of the current land use as an airport. So we'll start with airspace. And uh, Mark, maybe you can give people kind of a little overview of, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there who don't understand the concept of airspace. And even for pilots um, in somewhere like Los Angeles, where we have the kind of complex uh, variety of airspaces, LAX's uh, Class B, the Delta or uh, Class D of Santa Monica, and there are these these, uh, letters that describe them. Maybe you can kind of help people understand generally how airspace works. Well, currently where we're sitting in Santa Monica, adjacent to the airport, we're in the epicenter of Class Delta, which is the airport control zone, so to speak. Santa Monica Airport control tower controls the airspace from the Getty Center to the Pacific Palisades down to uh, Marina del Rey and out towards Century City. So all of that airspace is under the control of the Santa Monica Airport Control Tower up to an altitude of 2,700 feet and actually above that to basically about 5,000, 6,000 feet. So this area from the Palisades, to Marina del Rey, to Century City, to the Getty Center, is controlled by one control tower, preventing LAX traffic, Van Nuys traffic, Hawthorne traffic, any other traffic from just willy-nilly going over Santa Monica. So all the traffic over Santa Monica is controlled in a controlled manner, taking proper routes in and out of the Santa Monica Airport. So in a sense, Santa Monica Airport control tower keeps the airspace organized and quieter. So it's kind of like we have a we have a traffic cop in a sense that's managing the air uh, over our community and and looking at every airplane that wants to transit that area that you talked about this big uh, kind of radius around our airport. So we we have a we have a traffic cop effectively. Absolutely. And above that traffic cop, we have the LAX traffic cop because LAX controls the airspace above us from 5000 feet to 10,000 feet. So the airspace over Santa Monica is completely controlled at this point in time. So Santa Monica can control those big jets that we see flying over every day? Santa Monica Airport does not, but LAX does. And as Bill was pointing to, we actually have over 500 jets flying over directly over Santa Monica on the way to LAX every day that are controlled by people sitting in dark rooms in San Diego, basically en route to, to uh, Los Angeles. So they are kept above our airspace because Santa Monica Airport is, exists and is controlled by the Santa Monica Control Tower. Hmm. And that, I guess that's because it's very important to keep aircraft of different capabilities separated and the commercial traffic uh, into LAX is separated and safe to uh, get to the airport without having to deal with uh, lower level traffic. Separation is the key to organized airspace. Absolutely, Bill, you're absolutely right. If you talk to any air traffic controller, 
He says, I don't care about pilots. I don't care about airplanes. All I care about is separating everybody, keeping airplanes apart. That's their, that's their job. That's their goal. Keep the airspace safe. So it, it's a pretty, it's kind of an amazing thing when what you're laying out, we have what's referred to as the TRACON or the larger, you know, when people think about the, the air traffic controller sitting in front of a radar screen and all these little blips. So amazingly, people, I don't think really understand that a huge amount of Southern California's airspace is managed by the TRACON. You mentioned this in San Diego. So there's a group of controllers down there that are watching individual screens covering some part of Southern California. And it kind of, it's get, gets passed as we fly from say San Diego up to Santa Monica, you get handed off from one controller to the next as you fly effectively from one screen to another, right? Absolutely. It's, it's almost like you from, if you're driving, you would be talking to a different uh, city mayor every time you've transitioned from one city to another. Each section of airspace has a different controller and is controlled appropriately. So you have the TRACON, which is kind of managing the big picture, right? All of the airspace uh, in Southern California in this example. And then if you want to come to Santa Monica as a pilot, now I'm entering a specific airspace around our airport. And in that case, I would switch from the, the, the bigger picture controller, the TRACONs, or what we call SoCal. That controller would hand us off to the guy in Santa Monica who now gives us access to come to this, this airport. Is that right? Absolutely. And not only are we being handed off to a controller, but that controller has an organized fashion in which to manipulate, direct, control the traffic. So we have specific traffic routes that are designed to abate noise within the community and to operate safely. Mm -hmm. So, Mark, um, how much control does the city of Santa Monica have over this air traffic? since the control tower is here in the city of Santa Monica? Well, this, the control tower is clearly operated by the FAA. And the FAA can take guidance from the city and take suggestions from the city. But it is the ultimate responsibility of the FAA air traffic controller to manipulate, to, to direct and control traffic. So the city can't just have uh, ordinances or anything controlling where the traffic flies or cannot uh, put in input with their police department about where airplanes go? Not unless they the only thing that the city could do is in an emergency situation, a request what's called a temporary flight restriction over a particular area. But as far as controlling traffic, no, that ultimate responsibility lies with an FAA flight controller. So I think for people, it's, you know, I, I, Bill's alluding to the reality that the city is not in control of what happens in airspace over our community, but the FAA is. And our tower manages that airspace based on federal regulation, not city regulation or state regulation. This is federal aviation regulations that manage our airspace, right? Absolutely. I guess you could say the feds are in charge. But, you know, let's be honest here. Controllers are people. Controllers listen to the concerns of the city. And controllers do the best job that they can to mitigate noise and the impact on the community. So um, I, I think, you know, it's it's complicated. I hope that helps a little bit. And we're going to post some links. Um, uh, we'll put those up with the podcast. So if you want a little more information about how, how airspace works, we'll point you to some uh, some places on the Internet where you can get a little more data. 
But let's talk about this in a really specific way for a second. So if I'm an airplane and I want to come to the Santa Monica airport, uh, I call the Santa Monica control tower and, and state my intentions that I would like to land. And they sequence us in, as you mentioned, to land. So that's relatively straightforward. How does it work on departure? So I know we have our noise abatement program here, which requires a slight left turn over, over the Penmar Golf Course. Then we fly out to the coast. Once we've reached the beach, uh, then depending on what direction you're going, so, so let's say you're flying up to Malibu or towards Santa Barbara, you'd make a right turn at the shoreline and then you're kind of on your own once you've left the Santa Monica airspace. How does the air traffic control tower here at Santa Monica manage departures in that way to make sure that they're flying the noise abatement and being good neighbors, let's say. The air traffic control tower will sequence departures based on arrivals. And uh, the air traffic controller tower actually does not direct people to make the left turn over the golf course. But there are signs at the end of the runway that tell pilots to fly the noise abatement procedure. And there are handouts at the airport that provide information for pilots. So I know that there's sometimes there's confusion inside the community about when they see an aircraft that's flying straight out on our runway heading. So many times uh, they would uh, someone on the ground might assume that that person is not flying uh, the published noise abatement, you know, trying to be as quiet as possible. But it is clear that many of those flights are IFR or instrument flight rules, and those flights do not make the turn. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct, Christian. So if you're, if the weather is bad or low, I don't want to say bad, if the weather has some clouds cover and you are filed IFR, instrument flight rules, you are required to fly straight out. That That's the part of the department procedure. And then at the shoreline or nearby, the sh- just past the shoreline, you make a, a slight right turn and proceed on your way. Even with a VFR departure on a clear day, you will make that slight left turn when you take off from the runway go over the golf course, and then the tower will direct you to make a right turn at the shoreline. It is, it's stated uh, in a sign at the end of the runway. The control tower will say it. There are pamphlets. Pilots are informed on the web. But it's quite clear that that is the departure procedure. Now, there, there certainly are times, I mean, I think another way that, that pilots may be flying something other than what you just described. Uh, for example, I've been departing out of Santa Monica, and there's a, a jet on an IFR departure waiting to take off. And they may, that aircraft is obviously much faster than my little single engine uh, aircraft. So they may actually may ask you to make an early right turn, basically to get out of the way of the jet departure. Is that, is that true? I, uh, you know, I guess it could be true, but I've never experienced it. I think it's pretty rare. I think the controllers are pretty sensitive to the concerns of the community and want to operate uh, in, a, in a responsible, ma- the operate the airport in a responsible manner to mitigate noise. Yeah, I could count on one hand the number of times I've had that that command. Please make an early right turn handful of times in 15 years of in, flying here. In 20 years, I've never been asked to do that. So I, Interesting. Okay. You know, since it's Santa Monica's airport, why why is the traffic flying over the golf course and out to Venice anyway? I I think it's a, it's a compromise of the community, that the, something the community asked for. I think I don't know. I play golf occasionally. I kind of enjoy watching the airplanes fly over the golf course. It's there's a the golf course provides uh, there's a less dense population of people walking around the golf course. Um, I I it's there's nothing wrong with that departure procedure, but uh, I think you know your your point is well taken that it is actually Los Angeles territory when you fly over it. Well, you know, one of the things is that. Uh 
the golf course is lower altitude than the uh, terrain immediately to the north. And since noise abatement has to do with distance, flying over the golf course exposes the greater number of people to less noise than any other way to depart. Plus, it's, uh, you know, it is a place where you can safely set down with uh, an emergency situation as opposed to a neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the other big advantages. And we've seen that very occasionally, but it's always a preferred you know, option to be able to land on a fairway than a road, for example. So there's obviously a benefit to departing traffic to having that option of the golf course. And that, and that brings into question as to why the city of Santa Monica would want to shorten the runway and move departures closer to the homes and the terrain uh, off the end of the runway. Because clearly, as Bill just mentioned, noise is, is just, just like with, with a microphone. If I get closer to the microphone, my voice gets louder. It's, it's, very quite, it's quite simple that the closer you are to the noise source, the louder it's going to be. And the, this proposed shortening of the runway that they're embarking upon will increase noise on the community. Well, and this is a this is another topic that I think is is a, is a powerful one. But boy, uh, you know, we we may save that one for another day. Really looking at what's been proposed with the consent decree and this uh, suggested shortening of the runway, because clearly there are a number of big issues that uh, we, we we could spend all day on that one. Uh, one one of the other things that I think is worth mentioning when we're talking about airspace um, is what's referred to as the imaginary surface. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, Bill, what, what that, what sure, that phrase a, means? It, I, I consider the imaginary surface is a, uh, is a uh, federal uh, aviation term. I consider an imaginary surface to have real benefits, and here's why. Imaginary surface is a protected airspace that does not allow for any obstructions from the ground to penetrate around the airport. If you imagine something like a oval centered on the runway with a long axis, uh, nothing is allowed to protrude up through that space. And so it limits the height of structures, basically, uh, radio towers, uh, uh, buildings mostly. And that is why if you look at, if you stand up at the Getty Center and look down at Santa Monica Airport, you can see it clearly because it's not all hedged in by giant buildings. And that's not an accident. It can't be because its imaginary surface is protecting the area around the airport. So you have tall buildings at Century City, but you don't have them on Barrington. You don't have a row of Miami buildings like Miami Beach along the beach here. We have airports all along the coast, and they basically have been protecting, since their spaces overlap, they protect our whole coastline from overdevelopment. Were we to lose Santa Monica Airport, that protective space, that imaginary surface would would disappear along with the airport. And there would be no reason other than particular zoning laws, which we have seen are subject to um, exception. There would be nothing to keep high rise from just filling this whole area. So imaginary surface, it's an interesting phrase because what you're describing is very real. Oh, yes. And it's real both in the, in the form of uh, federal aviation regulations that limit building height around airports. And in our example, it's about a 3.8 mile radius around the Santa Monica airport that is protected in this way. There's also state law uh, that limits building heights. And I think you described this very clearly. We cannot have navigational obstacles, whether it's a building or a tree or a, or a, a, a radio antenna uh, protruding through that surface um, that an aircraft could effectively run into. So 
I think Bill makes an excellent point about the value of our airspace as a limit on development, right, Mark? I'm looking at the map, the aviation map of Southern California right now. And as I look at the map, the tallest object along the coast are the cranes down in Long Beach that are between the Long Beach Airport and the Torrance Airport. Along in Santa Monica, we have no obstructions that are even on the map. We have one building that's 820 feet that's on the approach path to Santa Monica. And then downtown, we have buildings over 1,000 feet. But there are no obstructions within Santa Monica or along the coast from basically Pacific Palisades all the way down to John Wayne Airport. The coast is clear, and that is because we have overlapping airspaces of airports. This is a really interesting point, and one that I make to people quite often. We are very uniquely situated in Southern California because if you start at the north side of L.A. County, Santa Monica's airspace and this protection that is provided by our our airport, um, this 3.8-mile radius where you can't build structures uh, higher than I think it's uh, about 12 stories or so, Um, that airspace overlaps LAX's overlaps Hawthorne's, overlaps Torrance's, overlaps Long Beach, overlaps John Wayne. And that's why we don't see a lot of high-rise development at the coast. Um, You're just not allowed to build the kind of buildings that Bill mentioned in Miami. Now, one of the things that people say to me often uh, is that, well, Santa Monica would never allow a high-rise building even if the airport were gone. And I'm always fond of pointing out, well, that that may in fact be true. I, I don't know that I totally believe that. But I don't believe that Los Angeles would be similarly uh, inclined. So if you think about all the properties along the 405, I mean, Bill, wouldn't you, wouldn't you imagine that LA would be interested in doing more high rise like we're doing downtown out at the beach? Yeah. You know, uh, what protects cities and development and how it's done are our zoning laws. Um, the imaginary surface is not subject to uh, modification the way zoning laws are. Santa Monica or Los Angeles, with enough provocation or perhaps with enough money under the table, will give a variance to a zoning law and build something else. The feds will not allow that to happen for their airports. And so the airport is a much safer protection, a much more secure protection of uh, development than any zoning laws. So this is one, we're going to post a video that we created a few years back, um, an animation that describes this kind of complex topic for you. So so please take a look at that video and you'll get a sense of a, a visual sense of really what we're talking about here. The second really critical value of this concept of imaginary surface or our airspace's value is the fact that it limits the height at which aircraft transit our airspace. So the height at which other airplanes, say, flying into LAX can cross our community's uh, boundaries. Ta- let's talk a little bit about that, Mark. Does does the Santa Monica Airport's airspace and our imaginary surface uh, provide a benefit to people in that regard? Well, let me tell a quick story. There's a air traffic controller who operates, works at the Santa Monica Airport, and her husband is a Southwest pilot. He lands at LAX all the time, and he flies over Santa Monica on the approach above the Santa Monica airspace. Let me repeat that. He flies a Southwest 737 
landing at LAX above the Santa Monica airspace. If traffic would allow, he would love to slow down and dump all the stuff out, meaning the flaps, the landing gear, make a tighter turn, come in lower, save fuel for the airline, and land at LAX, transitioning Santa Monica's airspace at a lower altitude. Now, I live a mile and a half from, less than a mile and a half from the airport in Santa Monica, and I hear LAX traffic all the time coming over the top of my home at at 6,500 feet. If we remove the Santa Monica airport, those planes will come in at 4,500 feet, which is considerably lower, lower and considerably louder. So we're talking about, and we mentioned this a little bit in our last podcast, we talked a little bit about uh, the, the northern corridor from uh, all the flights that come in from Asia, Hawaii, and then the huge amount of traffic that comes down from San Francisco and Seattle, the Pacific Northwest, all the, all the kind of northern uh, parts of, of uh, the, the American coastline. So we're talking about, very conservatively, about 500 aircraft a day that transit uh, the Santa Monica airspace on their way to LAX. And, and we've all had that experience. When you come in from, say, Hawaii, you'll fly along uh, the ridge of the Santa Monica Mountains uh, towards the Hollywood sign. You make a big bright turn at downtown. Um, but we And we've all experienced that, that right about there is when the aircraft put the gear down, put the flaps down, and they make a pretty steep descent on that, that base turn uh, to get into the runways at LAX. So if, if the airspace were gone, what you're saying is there's a real incentive to the airlines um, to approach, make that approach closer to LAX and a little lower altitude. But even a difference of a thousand feet could have very real consequences on noise to the community. Is that yeah, right? Noise is the impact of noise on the community is the square of the distance. So if you reduce the distance from the source of the noise, it just ends up getting louder and louder and louder. It's quite simple. And 500 heavy jets is different than the, you know, very, the fraction of that small aircraft that we have at Santa Monica. So you'd, you'd hear all of those guys. The, the FAA has told me that it's an average of 550 airplanes a day. So, so if the airport at Santa Monica was closed and these jets came in lower, uh, couldn't the city just tell them they can't fly through there lower and make them stay up high where they are now? It's the FAA's choice. And if Trump gets his way and the FAA becomes privatized, believe me, it's not going to, then you're dealing with a private entity who's controlled by the airlines. But, but even regardless of the current administration, the reality is the FAA's primary mandate is commerce. So when you, what you're talking about, and we've seen this at major airports around the country, what they're all moving towards is what's referred to as a continuous descent approach, where pick a point off the ocean, this northbound, the traffic arriving from the north would like to be on a continuous descent to the airport at LAX. The challenge is they have to stay high over us and then descend. So the difference in fuel savings you're talking about millions upon millions of dollars, and that's what moves the FAA needle, would be my argument. It, it would definitely be a game changer because you would have, more than likely you'd have flights that would come in over Santa Monica, and then they would throttle up at a lower altitude to stabilize their approach and then make the right turn to get on the runway. 
or to get lined up for the approach to the runway at, San, at Los Angeles. Hmm. Those, those jets, when they fly over, they look like they're already too low. They're in the same airspace with our airplanes. Well, they're, the jets, in, in they're about a, slightly over a mile high when they come over uh, Santa Monica to land at LAX. Why do they look so low? They're big jets. <laughs> exactly. They are large. So this is interesting. We'll, we'll kind of sum up and then we'll, we'll move on to our next topic. And, and like I said, we're going to post some resources for you online so you can you can educate yourself a little bit more. And the these whiteboard videos that we've done, I think, illustrate these points very clearly. Um, so we have two. Uh, the value of our airspace as a limit on building height or development. Um, and, and, and again, these aren't hypothetical values. These are real tangible benefits that this community receives from the airport's existence today. And if the airport were to go away, that protection against building height as a navigational, potential navigational obstacle would go away. So that's number one. Number two is it does limit in a very real way, the height at which aircraft transiting the, the Santa Monica airspace, uh, the height at which they, they make that transition. So these are real benefits that we have today. Um, and I think as a community, uh, we have to really consider if we close this airport, those benefits disappear and what's, what's the impact of that. Right, Bill? No, absolutely. Uh, they are imaginary surfaces at airports, but the benefits are real. Nothing imaginary about the benefit whatsoever. Very well said. So we'll transition into kind of our second question for today, which is, you know, the value of this airport, uh, the land use that's, that exists here uh, as an airport. And I think, so we've talked about these values, the value of our airspace, which is, which is certainly one. Um, but let's talk a little bit about some of the other benefits of this current land use. Uh, of this property, the 227 acres of the Santa Monica Airport. Um, so one of the things I know you, you, you've you talked about uh, to me, Bill, um, is what an efficient use of the land this is. Would you talk a little bit about that? Well, when you look around a city, uh, you look at what, it, what benefit there is for a given piece of land, whether it's a single home residential, whether it's uh, R2 or whether it's mixed commercial, how much good for the citizens is coming out of that acreage against what does it cost to maintain it? If you look at a uh, residential area, uh, say R2 or apartments or a mixed commercial area, uh, you have many costs associated with it for the benefits that you're getting as a either a resident or a business. You have all the street maintenance, you have the sewage, you have the electrical power used, uh, any number of things like that that have to be factored into the benefit. Now for residential area, of course, you have all the streets, but you need them to get to your house. When you look at something like the airport, you're getting a tremendous amount of benefit financially, but you're not having to have the tremendous infrastructure that's required for other parts of the city. The airport doesn't produce much waste. It doesn't use much in the way of water. It doesn't use much in the way of electricity. It doesn't generate much waste, but it does a tremendous amount of economic value. So if you want to consider cost benefit, it's very hard to beat the airport because it's bringing in money, but it's not using much acre by acre for what it does. 
So this, I mean, it, to me, this is a really, you're bringing up a fundamental piece of this ongoing conversation for me. What if, if as a community, we really want to make a decision about the future of this asset, we need to do that math, the cost benefit analysis. And we really haven't as a community. I mean, to me, it appears that the city made their decision about this value benefit uh, proposition back in the you know early 80s and said, well, we, we just want to see the airport be something else. As we've moved forward in the world, I would argue that the benefits of the airport have even gotten greater. But this is a really, the point you make is so valid. We, I think, pretty clearly can argue the airport's benefits outweigh its costs. Well, uh, that's true. And, and you remember, it, if you remove the airport and it turns out to have been a bad decision, which I think it would be, uh, there's no going back. Once you remove an airport in modern America, land values are way too high. You cannot buy up whatever you've put in that space and put an airport back. So when you lose them, they're gone forever. Uh, the only reason we have the light rail coming into Santa Monica is because the right-of-way was maintained by people who thought maybe uh, it would come back someday, although L.A. City nearly gave the right-of-way away uh, a couple of years before the Metro project started. Once it's gone, it's gone. So that's you're, you're then, uh, I think, uh, alluding to one of the other big benefits of uh, this current land use, and that is as a, as a piece of the transportation infrastructure, a transportation hub. So our airport is, is clearly uh, a piece of the national airspace system, and it's actually a very critical part of the Southern California airspace system. We serve as a reliever airport uh, for LAX. We service uh, a very good percentage of commercial traffic on the west side. So why would it be a negative to give up that transportation component, Mark? Would you, can well, I, I mean, if you look at the Santa Monica, the amount of traffic that comes to Santa Monica, we have approximately 90,000 operations per year. So we represent about 25% of the operations in our area. So between Van Nuys and Torrance and Hawthorne, we're, we're absorbing 25% of the traffic. If you eliminate the airport, then you're pushing the 20, that traffic to other airports. You're not just eliminating it. It's not just going to disappear. The other thing is that the airport is the only port that Santa Monica has. We don't have a seaport. We do have a freeway, the 10 freeway, that intersects with the 405 freeway. And that intersection is the busiest intersection in the United States of America. So what that clearly says is that our infrastructure is already overloaded if we are adjacent to the busiest interstate intersection in the United States, in North America, actually. And now we want to eliminate the only port we have. It makes no logical sense. So th this is an interesting one. If, if, and Bill, I know you've talked about this one. The, the city has an incredible thing here. We have, unlike many cities in the nation, we have an unbelievable kind of complement of transportation options, right? We have an interstate. We have freeways. We have roads. We have streets. We have a bike share program. We have the metro. We have the metro. We have a now we have a light rail system. We have a city funded public bus component. And unlike most cities, we have an airport. Now, the 
potential future value of our airport as a piece of transportation infrastructure is pretty massive. I mean, I think anyone can pick up a paper and say, wow, aerospace is changing radically and, and very quickly with the advent of drones, of small regional carriers, electrical powered aircraft, even the possibility of kind of the Uberization of uh, private aircraft to allow for that regional kind of transiting where you could take a a little small airplane like an Uber down to Orange County and not have to be on the freeway. Um, It seems clear to me that the solutions for car traffic are somewhat limited. I mean, we we can't really solve the problems with bigger roads, as short of double deckering the 405. But there may be in the future transportation, regional transportation solutions that are green, quiet, that could could come out of this airport. Correct. Well, it it takes me less than two hours to fly to San Francisco, but to drive to downtown during rush hour, it can take me an hour and a half. It it absolutely makes no sense to remove this invaluable asset, considering the rapid development of new technologies, including, as Bill mentioned, electric aviation, which is quickly coming on board. I mean, you literally could have hybrid airplanes out in a few years where you're taking off with a minimal amount of conventional power and using electric power to, to facilitate the takeoff, or you can have just short range electric airplanes, Uber's invested in this stuff. I mean, granted people may not like the idea of more airplanes or more airplane traffic, but either Santa Monica facilitates a transport system or it becomes an island unto itself. And should a, what I call a shaky shaky, people don't like it when I say it, but should a bad earthquake happen, we would have a fair amount of uh, undue suffering. Well, but this brings up another obvious value. And I mean, we're it, it's always fascinating to me that the anti-airport folks just dismiss this one out of hand. But the, the fact of the matter is that in a time of need, uh, when the, the roadways are impacted by an earthquake or we, we just have some disruption in, in the way things are operating at LAX, we have an airport that can serve this community uh, unlike other components of the transportation system. We, we really have, uh, unfortunately, I mean, I'm, my background is a journalist. I've flown in and out of disaster areas uh, most of my career. And the communities that do, do not have access to aviation suffer immensely. This is just a fact of life. And when we have Valentine's Day here on the West Side, traffic is immobilized just because people are trying to take their loved ones out for dinner. So we have no, not imagined something real, right? Imagine yeah. something real. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that that's one. And we, we then also talk about the, the, uh, this is a real tangible benefit. You don't need it all the time. But if we ever do, the benefit is there because we have currently have an airport. Well, it's not if it's just when it's a matter of when. Sure. But our airport is 100 years old. The city actually went to a great deal of trouble to get an airport, which they didn't have. Uh, That was a more enlightened time. In recent times, people think uh, that perhaps they can get out without having the airport, but the airport is not less relevant. It is more relevant. People complain, some of them, that there's more airport traffic. But in fact, the heaviest traffic at this airport was back in 1965. Well, back at that time, I think we were close to 300,000 operations, where now we're at 90. I mean, the world is, has changed. But the that benefit 
as we as we have pointed out, is is very real. Well, the thing is, and you pointed it out, things have changed and things will change. That is the nature of life. Don't take an irreplaceable asset and destroy it in one particular little time when you don't know what's coming. If one thing we learned from history is things change, they become more and they become less important. If you get rid of this airport, it will never be here again to use, no matter how much you want it. This is a very great point. And I think that the, at the value of when we think about the future, that's the whole point that you made about protecting the right-of-ways um, for the, the metro. Those things are, those benefits are only, we can only receive those future benefits if we preserve the asset. We must protect the asset. I mean, who would have the forethought to protect the right of way of that railway for a hundred years before it became utilized again? The, right. And it's gone most other places. We were very fortunate to have it. Right. And it will be rebuilt again. They will raise it above the roads so it can be a faster uh, metro at some point in time. It's just inevitable that this is going to happen. Now, this airport needs to be protected because we do not know what we're going to need in the future. We cannot just sit here now and say 50 years from now, we're going to need X or the technology is going to be Y. We don't know. We do know technology is moving faster than we can, than we can even envision. And to think that we know everything right now is just completely naive. We do know we have an asset. Why would we want to destroy that asset? Well said. So- one other thing I think is worth mentioning here uh, in, in this episode, and that is uh, many of the people who would like to see the airport go away say that, you know, they, they minimize all of these real tangible uh, values. And they say, well, the airport would be better, uh, would better serve our community as something else. And one of the ideas that has become uh, uh, that is very much in vogue of late is the idea of a park. And uh, I read uh, in the paper yesterday uh, another pro- kind of a proposal that I had heard about before has come back around about uh, covering a portion of the 10 freeway. And I think the thing I read yesterday said they could cover four blocks of the 10 and create an open space, which would create more real estate value for the, the businesses and buildings surrounding that park. And I thought, well, that is, a, I mean, I don't know, again, how you would pay for that, but what an interesting idea creating a park creating basically new land for a park. Well, to me, I thought, well, then wouldn't that be great? We could have a park and the airport. Why why take such a viable asset and turn it into something that is not that generates no revenue, has massive expense? And we know the city's own study had said, we don't even know how we would water the darn thing if we had a park here. So to me, I think if, if we really are considering, again, what we do with these big municipal public assets. It's important to consider the cost benefit as we've outlined a little bit, but I mean, I'm not against the idea of a park, but I just don't believe that this is the place for it. What, what, do, you, what do you think about, Mark? The bottom line here is money. I mean, the, this land is worth an enormous amount of money. It's, I, I, I don't have the figures in front of me, but it's billions and billions of dollars. So. Why do you want to take control of this land? Well, it's money. I mean, it's just good old-fashioned greed. If you look at China, for example, what would, China is building airports everywhere that they can. Why? Because they realize transportation infrastructure is vital for the development and growth of the economy. 
and the sustainability of, of the community. It just makes no sense. We can't put our hand, our heads in the sand and pretend that we don't need ports in our community. Bill, do you have any thoughts on that one? Well, yeah, uh, I do. It, it's, you know, to the extent that you have land available for parks and can afford to have parks, citizens like to have parks. Who doesn't? The problem is, is this land is being used. It's not available for a park unless you steal it from the airport. And that's what it would be. It would be a theft. It's a, it would be theft from all of the citizens of Santa Monica and the other communities surrounding it. This airport is here for a reason. It was put here for a reason. Those reasons haven't changed. If anything, they're more relevant now. The idea of taking it out to put in a park is silly. It's expensive, and it would not all be parked because the city can't afford it. The city says now they're going to be in the red in two years. They've just put up $45 million to pay for the retirement benefits of their own employees. They're running out of money. This airport brings in a lot of money for the space it uses. You fill it with parkland, it's going to be costing that much more. Besides which, the part that won't be parkland will be development. Development, except for hotels, has money up front and a big payoff, but then over the years, the infrastructure eats you alive. I don't think they're going to put hotels in, but you don't know, because after all, the city council can do what they want. Well, we don't even have the infrastructure, the road infrastructure to support the development at the airport. But I think think we should just sum this up with a a word that's very non-technical and not very political. As Bill's just said, this is just silliness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this is for us and the, the, the purpose of this podcast um, is to really provide an opportunity to have some dialogue. And uh, as we move into into future episodes, we're really uh, the goal is to bring individuals in that can talk more intelligently about this. And I would love the opportunity to invite someone from, uh, you know, the kind of anti airport side to visit with us, because the challenge is we're not having this real dialogue as a community about the costs and the benefits. And this airport as an airport, you know, certainly for the people at this table, believe that there's value in that. Um, And I think, you know, if we make a decision about as a community and don't really debate the facts and there are real facts at play here, um, like Bill said, you give the airport up, it never comes back. Well, you know, it it's very nice to look at your neighbor's property and say, well, if I take his house down, I can have a really nice garden. The problem is it's your neighbor's house. This land is not fallow land available for the city to figure out what to do with. It's already being used for an airport. It's an important use. It benefits a myriad people in the city, not just those that work right at the airport. It's a revenue generator. It brings in billions of dollars a year. Uh, it's financially irresponsible to close the airport. The city council right now should be totally ashamed of what they've done, trying to get permission to close this airport, working in the dark, uh, bringing it out of uh, a closed session on a Saturday. If they were proud of it, they'd have done it through regular channels. This is a dirty deal. It needs to be talked about. It needs to be rescinded. We need to get back to thinking about the future. Yeah, that's. I, I think that's the big point, is that you can debate all day long the value of this airport today. I think it's difficult to say that the airport doesn't have future value, which could far exceed the value that it has in this moment. And to throw 
the proverbial baby out with the bathwater because a few local neighbors complain about its noise impact or uh, potential fears around safety that have never materialized. Uh, that that's just doesn't make good sense as a, as a municipal choice. Um, Mark, do you have anything final to, to say? I think I think we need to think about the future. I totally agree. You, we we can't ever know what the future holds for us, but we do know that irreplaceable assets are irreplaceable, and we need to protect them. I agree. Well said. Well, I think we'll we'll leave it at that at uh, at that for for this episode of the uh, Santa Monica Airport Association's podcast, uh, Runway Two One. Um, I encourage you to visit our website uh, at santamonicaairport.info. Um, you can also uh, friend us on Facebook. Uh, we do a lot of regular postings there. As I mentioned, we'll have some links up with this podcast um, where you can educate yourself a little bit more about uh, airspace, imaginary surface, and the value of our, uh, of our airport uh, as a piece of infrastructure for this community. Um, and we certainly could use your support if you're interested in uh, saving our airport uh, from what would effectively be the largest redevelopment project in the history of this city. Uh, join our association, uh, the Santa Monica Airport Association. We need your, your financial support and your uh, efforts as a volunteer. So like I said, visit our website, santamonicaairport.info. Um, we're going to do another podcast next month, and we look forward uh, to you tuning in then. So thanks, everybody. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Christian. Thank you, Christian. Maybe we can talk about a three-headed dog next time. I think it would be an interesting topic. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. Thank you. We'll, we'll look forward to uh, connecting with you guys again next month. Adios. Adios.